you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Foz here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the show, my family and friends. As always, we love to having you guys on the show, being a part of our life, helping us improve your life and uh, all that good stuff, giving you the Chris Voss Show glow. Remember, the Chris Voss Show is the family that loves you but doesn't judge you, at least not as harsh as your mother-in-law. As always, we bring you the smartest people on the show. For 15 years, three to four shows a weekday, 15 to 20 a week, we even bring you the smartest people, the White House advisors, the CEOs, the billionaires, the, uh, gosh, darn it, uh, who else, the astronauts, the uh, journalists, uh, all the smartest people who spent hundreds, thousands a lifetime of hours to provide you with the data that you need to improve the quality of your life and everything else. It's been a work of love, but uh, we ask one small thing from you. Of course, this is the setup for the guilt and shaming, uh, where we ask you to refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Reach out to people and say, subscribe to the Chris Voss Show. Or else, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Uh, go to Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Voss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, and Chris Voss, one of the TikTok. And if you want to talk to the show on Facebook, you can go to uh, Chris Voss, Facebook.com as well. Uh, today, we have an amazing young lady on the show. She's going to be talking to us about leadership, which is one of my favorite topics, and uh, entrepreneurism and all that good stuff. And she's going to have some great stories of survival as well with cancer. Uh, we have Claire Chandler on the show with us today. Uh, she is the president and founder of Talent Boost. She specializes in aligning HR and business leaders so they can deliver strategic outcomes both today and in the future. She taps in over 25 years of experience in people leadership, human resources, and business ownership to help leadership teams work together more effectively and in less time with less cultural resistance so they can accelerate their business growth. She has broad-based expertise in management team due diligence, uh, organizational design, acquisition integration, and onboarding strategic planning, executive coaching, and performance acceleration. Ladies and gentlemen, she does it all. Welcome to the show, Claire. How are you? Thanks, Chris. I'm doing well. I love that you called me young lady, so already I am so happy to be here. There you go. That's what we do. Uh, I mean, I, I I have to just go with what we see. Uh, what we see. Uh, so give us your dot coms. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, so uh, ClaireChandler.net, which is a little bit more of my personal side. Uh, and on my business website is TalentBoost.net. There you go. TalentBoost.net. There's an ebook too, that you have on there. We'll talk about, and then there's another one you have in development. Uh, you have one that's called the culture effect, the five gears that drive successful M&A integration. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. If you want to lead off with that, uh, give us an overview of what uh, people can expect out of that when they find it on your site. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So it, it seems to be more of the trend now that a lot of organizations, especially in the United States are growing through mergers and acquisitions. Mm -hmm. um, they have found that trying to grow their company one hire at a time is just not the best way to, to, to best path toward world domination, right? So M&A mm -hmm. is kind of the way to go. And what they are often finding is 
they've got these brilliant growth strategies. I'm sure you've got all the, the big brain trusts that come onto your show. I'm sure a lot of them have uh, M&A experience. Mm-hmm. And they're always enamored with their growth strategy. And then they are always somewhat surprised when the people in the company that they have acquired dig their heels in and resist at every turn. So the culture effect is all based on the premise that you have to engage the people, you have to build and nurture the culture that is the foundation of that organization if you are truly going to implement your growth strategy and thrive as a business. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it, it, mergers and acquisitions uh, so important for all this stuff. Now, when you uh, wrote the culture effect, um, what, what are some of the uh, five gears that you tease out? Yeah, so they're all around people development and they're around people, I'll, I'll call it engagement. And I don't want people to sort of back away from that and say, oh, that's all the squishy HR stuff. It's actually not. It is actually uh, absolutely fundamental to growing a business the right way. If you don't have the right people who join your organization, who kind of buy into your mission, who are put in the right roles at the right time, who have the right motivation, who trust your leaders, who follow where you want to go and who kind of align their passions, their roles, their skills, their ideas with where you're trying to get to as an organization, mm-hmm. you're dead in the water. So that book is really geared toward, no pun intended, five of the main drivers that really help to accelerate growth through engaging your people, giving them reasons to believe and finding ways to spark their engagement, their buying and their motivation. Um, so they can help you co-create a successful strategy. Definitely. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your uh, hero's journey. I know that you went through some things and, and that got you to this point. Give us uh, your story. Yeah, so I am a self-professed both cancer survivor and corporate survivor. I spent the first 20 or so years of my career within the walls of corporate America. Uh, by the way, after swearing, I was never going to work in corporate. Like That just wasn't in my DNA. Uh, I'm the product of a school teacher and a small business owner, but alas, that's where the opportunities were. <laughs> so, um, so I spent the first, you know, 20, 20 or so years in corporate. Um, what really got me to break out of that, and, and it was, and I will call it a gift in retrospect, was that I got diagnosed with cancer. This was early in 2011. I was the vice president of human resources. I was traveling all the time. I was going 150 miles an hour and I literally had to take a month off of work. I had to go full stop. I had to go from 150 to zero. I had to deal with this. This Mm -hmm. was not something that I could postpone. This was not like a vacation where I could just, you know, there, this was a non-refundable ticket towards surgery. Right. So how to deal with that. And the reason I call it a gift is because when I had the surgery and then and then took the, that time off, I finally couldn't outrun that voice in my head that had been trying to ask me for far too long, are you really doing what you're passionate about? Ah. And I had to acknowledge the answer was no. Wow. And so, you know, when, once you have an answer like that, you, you really have to do something with that. You owe it to yourself to do something with that answer. Mm-hmm. And so that was really what... Um, was the catalyst for reevaluating where I was in that corporate rat race and getting onto the path toward my entrepreneurial journey. There you go. So, <clears throat> I mean, when you when you got the cancer, did it did it put you in a state where you kind of looked around your world and and thought, you know, I 
I, I might have limited time here or, uh, you know, maybe the future is limited. I, I need to do more of what I want or what I feel is important is, you know, it, there's a lot of reevaluation many people take in that journey. Yeah, no doubt. It was, it was definitely the, the reminder, the, the kind of the, the sledgehammer between the eyes that life is too short. Mm-hmm. Um, now, spoiler alert, I am cancer free now. I was very fortunate. Thank you. I was very fortunate to, to be diagnosed early enough um, that we could kind of deal with this through surgery and treatment. And, you know, I mean, I, I have scans and lab work and follow-ups for, you know, forever into my future. Um, so it wasn't that sort of wake up call around life is too short. Like it was a terminal diagnosis, mm-hmm. but it really did remind me that we only have so many years on earth and so many of those years that are, um, you know, years when we do have our health, when we do have our wits about us and we do have an opportunity to make an impact in the world. Um, but that's why I call it a gift because I think had I not had that wake up call and that reckoning with myself, I don't know that I would have taken the leap. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how these, these, uh, cathartic times sometimes in our life, these pauses, these interruptions can awaken us, you know, we're kind of on the train and and everything's going and you're just kind of running the rat race, if you will, spinning the hamster wheel. And, you know, these interruptions make us go, Hey, we got to take a moment to look around and maybe that's a, a, an important lesson. We need to stop more and take a look around. Maybe we need to ask ourselves more. Is this really what I want to do? Is this really how I want to do it? Uh, is this really important to me? Am I, am I living my purpose or am I living my values there? So uh, how, how did you start your own consulting business? What was the pathway there? So I would love to be able to tell you that I had this bulletproof business plan from, from day one. Um, but alas, that is not true. You know, and I, and I pride myself, I consult with corporations now mm-hmm. from the outside looking in and I pride myself on being deeply self-aware and honest with yourself and vulnerable at all and all of that stuff. Um, so it was certainly not a, a journey that was well plotted out. I just knew I had to take it. I had to mm-hmm. take that leap. Um, you know, one of the things about, kind of taking stock of where I was and what I was going to try in terms of going out on my own. Um, I dealt with a lot of if onlys. And what I mean by that is, you know, it, 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 it's so easy to talk ourselves out of our comfort zone. Uh, it, it, well, so, to talk ourselves out of moving out of our comfort zone, I should say. Mm-hmm. And so for me, there were all these, if, right? It, if only I had a little more, more experience in what I'm really passionate about. If, if, if only I had a business plan, if only I had a backlog of clients ready to, to work with me, um, you know, and they just started to pile up. If only I didn't have more cancer treatments ahead of me this year, it was all of those things. And one of the things that I did was um, consult with people that I trusted. Mm-hmm. And I didn't invest in a formal business coach for a couple of years later, but I did reach out to a few people who knew me professionally, who cared about me personally, and that I could sort of take this idea to them. And I remember a couple of conversations with some of those people. And I said, am I nuts? Like to think that I could make it out on my own as a consultant and an advisor and a small business owner and an entrepreneur, um, you know, given where the economy is, given the fact that I'm on an executive track and I'm in a, I'm in a cushy, safe corporate job and all of those things, <laughs> am I nuts? And not one person said when I, when I presented them with that, not one person said that I was, in fact, wow. a couple of them said, 
I've been waiting for your call. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to wake up to the fact that you've been wasting your gifts. They knew this is what was good for you all along. Yeah. And you know, and it's, and it's like anything else, right? Like the, the, the people in your world who see you, who know you deeply and care about you, they make, they can see through your forest more clearly than you can, but just because they tell you the right thing to do does not mean you're going to do it until you're ready and the universe is ready. Um, so in those, in those early days, while I was still working in corporate, I was reaching out to a couple of those people that I, that I considered personal advisors and, you know, they, they helped me think out loud, which is so important mm -hmm. so that you're not just stuck wrestling with the voices in your head, but they helped me think out loud what this could look like, what this could be. And to get over myself and say, you know, with, with all those, if onlys, F mm -hmm. the if, take the leap and learn as you go. There you go. I mean, that's kind of the way entrepreneurism works like I'll, i've talked about this on the show ad nauseum i'm sure but um you know you have to start you have to begin it's like life you know you can't sit in the womb going well i'm gonna come out when it's perfect and everything's uh you know it's so parents, comfy in here it's warm yeah, I'm fed. it's warm yeah it's fed um you know I, I think i'm gonna use this i just may i just thought this up but this is a perfect analogy because i get people in business to me all the time they're like hey i'm gonna start my own company i'm like okay do it and like, oh, I'm waiting until everything's perfect. I'm like, there's going to be a perfect time. Well, I'm waiting until you know, the money's right. And, you know, I've kind of got the business model down right. I'm trying to write that you know, business model mission statement. I'm like, I've never written a business model mission statement in my life. <laughs> like for 20, 30 plus companies, yeah. I've never written a mission statement. Um, mainly because, you know, there's some business we started that within 30 days, we were flipping the model. And we didn't want that model to lock us in. Uh, I had a model in my head. I, I, you know, you kind of, when you start enough companies, you know, you, you, there's kind of a printing process that's kind of standard to mm -hmm. it. But, you know, you, you kind of have a general idea. But sometimes I've dived into companies and you're just like, no, I think that our clients are telling us we need to go over here, not over there. That was a good idea at the time, but, you know, follow the money. Uh, but I, I like this analogy that I, and, and so I'll meet these people like, you know, year after year. Hey, uh, you'll see me a year later. Hey, did you start that company? No, I'm still talking about it. Uh, yeah, I'm still, I was going to start it, you know, in, in three years, five years go by and, you know, they're still talking about it. But I like this analogy of this, you know, it, it's like the person who's sitting in the womb going, I'm not coming out until everything's perfect until my parents, you know, uh, have enough money to raise me and pay for college and my parents, uh, I've worked out all their psychological trauma from childhood that's going to make a bad childhood for me. I'm not coming out until everything's perfect. Well, that's not how life works. Um, it throws you right out as a baby into the bathwater and basket, whatever you want to say. And, and uh, it's sink or swim. And entrepreneurism is the same way. You just got to get into it. And a lot of it is problem solving. A lot of it is learning, education. And it's just like, it's just like birth. You got to jump in or jump out in this case. Yeah, um, well, and you know, and I think it's one of the biggest dividing lines between entrepreneurs and leaders and executives of large organizations. Entrepreneurs mm -hmm. understand that perfection is a myth. Yeah. And, and leaders of large organizations are still waiting for that. I, you know, I, I, like I said, I advise and counsel executive leaders in, in big organizations, and I constantly have to, to remind them if you're waiting until you get 100% of the data that you need to make a decision, your competitors are already too far down yeah. the road. Like yeah. you're, you're, you're never going to get to that point. 
you're yeah. waiting for the perfect scenario. Um, you know, and, and entrepreneurs kind of get it. I think the biggest difference is they know that they have to pivot. You mm -hmm. ask a, a leader of a large established organization to pivot, it blows mm -hmm. their minds. They can't do it. Yeah. I mean, you look at, I've, I've had friends that are on, that were on the original iPhone building team. And, uh, when, you know, Steve Jobs is like, we're going to build this phone and you're going to put everything in it. You're going to put a, 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 you know, a dial of phone in it. You're going to put an email in it, mail, and you're going to, you know, messaging, and you're going to put all this stuff into this unit, uh, radio and CD player, basically. And, and uh, you're going to jam it all in, and it's going to work. And they're just like, well, how are we going to do that? He's like, I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> and so they, they literally had to figure it out. In fact, when uh, Steve Jobs announced the iPhone, uh, the story's out there now. My friends told it to me years before, but uh, you know they weren't. It wasn't working. In fact, the only time it did work was when he presented on stage. Up until <laughs> up until the time, uh, even the week that they were locked in the uh, I forget the name Mars Capone Center or whatever it's called in San Francisco. Even the week they were locked in there with Steve Jobs um, practicing his presentation, they were trying to get it to work. And every fourth every fourth action or app that you would open, it would crash on the fourth movement. So they had multiple phones in the desk for him, and he was supposed to switch between the phones, and he didn't. Uh, he stuck with the one, and the one single time that it didn't crash after four movements was when he was on stage live. And so you can imagine how it might turn out different. But, you know, that, that's an example of where you've just got to jump in with both feet, and you've got to fight your way through it, and you got to have some luck and some and some grit, and uh, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be messy. It's going to be trauma. It's going to be, but that's kind of the beauty of it because that's how you learn. That's how you shape it. You know, um, maybe another good analogy that I'm, just came to me in my head is it's kind of like it's kind of like you know a blacksmith who turns a, a sword, uh, you know, some blunt piece of steel by brutalizing it into this beautiful shaped. Uh, you know, almost perfect cutting device that's beautiful. Uh, it takes that hammer and anvil and the ugliness of, a, you know, the blacksmith shop to, to, to pound that into something that's, that's uh, worth something. Yeah, love that. Yeah. I'm just full of analogies this morning. <laughs> just really on one. I'm, on I'm still in the baby in the womb. I'm still Are you? Are you? It's, so, it's such yeah. a perfect analogy. I'm not so sure the jumping... Awesome. I'm jumping out of the womb idea is a good idea, though. We probably should have the lawyers put a disclaimer on that. Doesn't sound like that's going to work out very well. <laughs> jumping out of the womb. It's like uh, I have this vision in my head, like uh, you know, mom, mom's getting surprised, like ta-da, I'm here. That might, that might scare some people on the, the thing. You know, the baby's head goes around, and pretty soon they're going to walk out with the iPhone in hand. I mean, it's scary. I'm surprised they don't now. It's it's coming. I mean, I'm not sure. I, I, when you really think about uh, how much you know, mothers and and fathers and everybody in this in this world walks around with an iPhone. I'm I'm not surprised that has emerged into our DNA where you just birth with one. And, and um, they're going to just get updates every trimester, like, like right before they come out of the womb, right? It's like yeah, move outside like, because you're interfering with the update. Yeah, it's like, it's like basically, you know. You know, uh, you know, some people press their head up against the mother's belly to hear the baby's heartbeat. Now you just do it to hear the notification beeps. 
Um, so there you go. So, uh, so now you help people um, become better leaders. You help businesses uh, become more successful. Why do businesses fail to achieve growth strategies? <laughs> uh, how long is your show? I mean, there, you know, there's, there are, there are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of reasons. I think, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of them we already sort of touched upon, which is they're, they're waiting for, for, for perfection, right? They're mm -hmm. waiting for all the stars to align. They're waiting for all of the data to come in. And, you know, there are studies after studies and, and experts that are even smarter than, you know, than, than you and I are, although I think we're pretty smart, um, you know, who kind of remind us that the, the, the biggest, some of the biggest um, hurdles or obstacles or, or landmines to business growth, um, the majority of them center around the capacity and capability of the people at the top. So I know we already talked about kind of the how, um, you know, the, the, the people throughout an organization, it's super important that they're they're aligned, they're bought in, they're giving, given an opportunity to kind of co-create, but it's got to come from the top. I talked to so many leaders who just have this mistaken belief that culture in an organization, one, is not fundamental, not true, and mm -hmm. two, that it bubbles up organically from, from the ground level of an organization. And it's just flat out not true. Mm -hmm. The leaders are the ones who shape the culture, and culture drives success. And so, so you really, you really find that 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 leaders don't just think that culture. You know, well, I just step in here and I just yell orders, <laughs> and everything works out. That, that really is a lot of mentality that's out there, huh? That explains there, there everything. Is. Actually, that well, explains you know, everything. I mean, when you when you kind of think about, and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, stories about this um, mm -hmm. as well. Like the the generation of leadership that. Um, is, I don't want to see dying off, but okay, in reality, they're dying off, are from a bygone era, you know, around the mm -hmm. industrial economy. They're all about command and control. These are people who at the beginning of the industrial economy came out of the military. So you had a bunch of retired military officers and generals and admirals and all of this now running companies. And so that mentality of do as I say, not as I do, take the hill and don't ask questions. Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, we're not here as a democracy. We're here, you know, for you to, to follow orders. The generations coming into the workforce now, they, they don't play that way. They don't mm -hmm. want it like that. And while we're on the subject, you know, I, I know millennials get a real bad rap, mm -hmm. but I want to give credit to, to, to millennials. Now I'm a Gen Xer, but these mm -hmm. millennials kind of like they're onto something here. I've never seen a generation previous to them who advocate for themselves so strongly. Yeah. In, in the workplace. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's you know, there, there are things that we can take from every single generation in the workforce. And I think for the millennials, they're kind of paving the way for you have to advocate for yourself. Don't wait for a cancer diagnosis to stand up and say, I deserve more. Hmm. The, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I I'd, uh, asked for an egg and cheese uh, sandwich at McDonald's yesterday, and they left the egg off, and they seemed to be more interested in their phones, and they really didn't. It took like a, <laughs> it took like an hour to calculate in the drive-through. Well, I was uh, just going to say, you know what's even scarier? Yeah, not only that they forgot the egg, they don't know how to make change. What is the deal? Yeah, and so and so, I mean, it took like seriously like the longest time I think I've ever spent at McDonald's waiting for them to tally uh, a Coke. Wow. A hash brown and a um, an egg McMuffin, and then I didn't get the egg. And it's like I don't know who orders the egg McMuffin without the egg. 
Like, I don't know. Maybe some people do. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of, uh, it, it was kind of, uh, uh, blown away, but you know, I, you're right. They do advocate for themselves. Um, I just, I, I, I want them to just take more value in their work and care about their work more. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know, they're not a monolith. Uh, there's, you know, sometimes I complain as that old man, uh, Clint Eastwood, who's on the lawn with the hose going, get off my, get lawn. Off my lawn. And I, I feel that way. And I think they have, uh, I think they have a great future ahead of them, but, um, you know, some of the, my folks that work with them, you know, they, they don't, they have a hard time with staying in the lane. Like, here's your job. You do this. Well, I want to go do some other things. This isn't Instagram or TikTok. You've got to, you've got to do this job, learn this job, do it well, excel at it, and then you can go, move, you know, move the ladder and do something else. So I don't know, man. They're going to redesign everything. So it's their world now. I don't, I don't really have any say in it. Um, you know, we see what goes on with the, um, you know, working remotely. We see what goes on where they tend to job hop a little bit they they do like to find stuff that that enlivens them and i think they're going to challenge a lot of leadership and managers and that's what they seem to be doing where you can't just phone in as a leader and be like well they just do their jobs and stuff you know you've got to inspire them you've got to motivate them you've got to touch the hearts and minds of them to um you know make them feel like there's something of value or purpose in what they're doing i think you've got to kind of try and get in their heads and find out what they want more. So I think, I think in the end it's going to demand more from leaders. I could be wrong, but I, I think, I think that's what it's going to do. It's going to, it's going to, there's going to be more leadership techniques. There's going to be more uh, impression towards or, or pushing towards culture. And I, I, you know, I live in my own culture, but because I've cultural bubble because I've been building culture in our companies all our life and I understood the importance of it but um, I'm, I'm like like you said a lot of a lot of companies haven't done it and that's probably why they're seeing this this overturn of these gen Zers so much and and uh, because they're looking for good leadership I think most people are yeah and I and I think you know Millennials will tell you what they need Um I think more so than, than the previous generations. The rest of us sort of it sort of knew what we needed, but maybe we're waiting around for someone to ask us. Um, you know, the, these these <laughs> I can't believe I'm at the point where I'm going to say these kids today, but these kids today are going to advocate and they're going to say, you know, what they need, what they're questioning, where they want to um, belong. And I think to your point, it, it is going to require, it is already requiring of leaders to customize much more so the way that they interact with everybody on their team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, it's, it, it, it makes all the difference. And I think, <clears throat> I think it will challenge them. I, hopefully it will maybe develop them into better leaders, but, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it's theirs. It's their game to win or lose. Um, so, uh, so you talk about the three P's of sustainable business growth. Uh, can you tease that a little bit about what the three P's are? Yeah. So the, the headline, or I guess the punchline, is it's people, processes, and performance. Ah, that kind of ties um, into what we were just talking about, people. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, you know, and it's and if you kind of picture this is going to be a flashback, and millennials are going to lose their mind for a second. But you know, if you if you picture that in the Venn diagram, right? Did I just mm -hmm. give you a flashback? Um, but you know, where where those three kind of converge, right? You have to have. It's not just about getting more people. Because right now, this war for talent that we've been talking about for 20, 30 years is here. 
but you got to have, you have to have the right people and they have to have the right motivation. And we sort of talked about that. The processes, you have to have a mechanism for, for replicating success and filtering out inefficiencies. Because I think one of the things in this faster and faster paced world is we don't have time for inefficiency. Um, you know, we, we don't have time to keep tripping over the same mistakes. We have to iterate, we have to fail forward, and we need to have processes that are going to help us replicate success. And then, of course, performance in all the different forms that that takes has to come together, right? You're in a business for a reason. You're not in a business to fail it. You're in a business to grow it or at least to maintain and sustain that. And so all three of those have to come together and they have to converge around some common purpose um, that's kind of the sweet spot in the middle of that. But those have to come together and coalesce if a business is actually going to succeed in the long run. Definitely. Definitely. No, oh. it's, it's, uh, it, it's something where people just need to figure it all out. And, 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 and it's not just a monolith of where I'm back to the monolith. I love that. Um, well, 2001 space of, like, odyssey just, going on there. Just do it. And like we were just talking about with Gen Z and even millennials. You know, the people are really important uh, and helping them achieve what they want, you know, servant leadership in, in helping, knowing what the, you know, the guts are of people. What do you want to achieve? You know, I'm, we're here to help you. You know, people aren't just like, hey, I want to slave away at a company anymore. And that, those are dead and gone, especially with remote working. Um, you know, now uh, to build on what we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, people have so many different choices in the world. You're seeing this incredible rise of um unions i don't think what a lot of i don't know you tell me i i don't think a lot of leaders have realized where we're at right now basically what's happened is for you know i've been hearing about this for 40 years that the boomers were going to retire and they were going to leave a glut in the workforce market because we you know we weren't breeding like they did um and so their large generation was was going to end up being kind of a hole in the economy and with covid what they did is they left early and some Gen Xers did too. They took their retirements and said, I don't want to work in a place where I'm going to die and I got better things to do. And they, they cut out early. And so we're left with a much smaller, much less skilled um, group of people. In fact, I think I was reading in the New York Times recently that out of every day, uh, there's like 10,000 of them where they're retiring. And these are people that are highly skilled. You know, they've got a whole career of 40, 50 years um, working and they're cutting out of the market. And they said that for every seven people that are skilled workers, like even in trades, you know, people that do welding or construction or whatever, and they have those, those really high-end trade sort of uh, uh, recognition, you know, that they've, you know, they, they, they know how to do stuff really well because they've been doing it for decades. For every seven people that's being replaced or that's, that's going into retirement, there's only one person to replace them. And these aren't, these aren't people who've been doing this for a long time. These are people that are like, hey, I just began last week. And so not only do we have a glut in skill-based uh, stuff that's happening right now and uh, draining, but we don't have enough employees to fill the gap. And we and we hear we've got this economy that seems to be doing incredibly well in spite of everything uh, and demand. And it, it's really hard for um, people to hire right now. And there's not, you know, I just went out to a restaurant on Sunday and they're like, yeah, we just, we just went to, uh, you know, we give you the little number to put at your, at your, 
table. We don't do service anymore to the table. And I'm like, what the hell? And again, yeah. we just find enough employees to do service at the table. And it's, it's, it's a restaurant that's designed for service at the table. It's just, or yeah, yeah, to have service. Yeah. It, yeah. I, in fact, I was kind of upset about it. I'm just like, I, I come here and I pay a lot of money to have like the service. That's kind of your yeah. thing. I don't want the cafeteria experience. Yeah. If I want to, yeah. If I want to, if I want that, I'll go to McDonald's. Right. But, and so these, uh, you know, yeah. So we're seeing these unions that are going, hey, man. We realize that you, you're going to have to deal with us now. Uh, and you've got these employees like the Gen Zers that can hop around if they don't want to, because they're going to find what they're going to find what leadership and purpose they have. And so people really need to get it. Basically, that's the big picture. It's and it's so interesting because, again, to your point, we we've been talking about this for decades. We've been we have been warned and we have warned others that this war for talent, this this scarcity of talent was coming. Mm -hmm. um, I think the global pandemic was the wake up call for a lot of people, yeah. much like for us individuals who have gone through a cancer experience or some other, you know, sort of catalyst um, that really woke up a lot of people to, you know, it doesn't have to be like this. I don't have to spend my remaining years yeah. on this earth working this way or for these people or doing this job. Um, but I think, you know, part of it too was there was this, I think, myth that the union employees, the, the people who are boots on the ground in manufacturing other blue collar industries, that they could be replaced seven to one by automation, by technology, yeah. by, um, you know, better engineered processes. And we are finding that that is not true. Mm -hmm. And I think the other big challenge that you layer on top of that across any industry is people aren't staying with a company for their entire career anymore at yeah. any level of an organization. You know, it used to be, and my parents used to sort of say this, it was like, you know, in my day, the company you started with was the company you retired with. Um, yeah, they actually said in my day, I remember that, the pound of the, pound of the table. Wait, when, I say that all the time. But I mean, like, when, you know, I was telling them, I, I think I spent my first, uh, my first job out of college, I spent like four years and I said, you know, I was going to move on to this other opportunity. And I got the, in my day speech, you didn't, you didn't move around. Um, but it's, you know, what's interesting is not only are the, um, the individual contributors in your workforce moving around, the average tenure of an executive leader is somewhere between three and five years and not just the CEO, it's everybody in the executive wing. So there's a lot of changeover and a lot of potential turbulence if organizations don't understand that they need to, first of all, find ways to retain and engage and grow their talent, build it from within, mm -hmm. um, but also appreciate that people are not going to stay around for years and years anymore. So yeah. how do you bring in the best of what they've got, blend that so that your organization outlasts their tenure? Definitely. And you, you have a vibrant culture that gives people that purpose and stuff. You know, I, I mean, people quit jobs, not necessarily over money. I think the stats and data show that they quit over leadership. That's they right. quit over the bad bosses. They quit <clears throat> over uh, uninspiring, you know, no one wants to go to the funeral home company. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about funeral companies. I'm talking about, you know, you go there and just every day is like kind of like a, a slow moving funeral procession where it's dead inside and there's no yeah. inspiration. Um, I think, 
you know, maybe you know we you give a we give a lot of hand-wringing to uh, the Gen Zers, but you know maybe they figured it out because they've looked at you know all the things that have gone on since the '80s, where you know uh, it's more about shareholder value and you can dump employees forty thousand, fifty thousand at a time, and and they don't care, and, and they've just finally accepted it, and they're just like, hey, you know what? If you don't care, then we're not going to care either. So we're going to flop around and flip around to what we want to find, we want to do. And um, you can just take your little thing because we, we realize you're going to be transactional with us. So we're going to be transactional with you. How about that? Yeah. And I, and I think what's, what's been interesting about that and some organizations are starting to um, understand and try to leverage this is the rise of the gig economy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this, it's so interesting right before the lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. And if I say lockdown, everybody kind of knows what that is. Right. But prior to like the, the big blow up of the global pandemic, um, I was I was working with clients on their longer term strategic plans, and they were they were projecting out twenty years. So when I say strategic plan, they were looking at a twenty year horizon. Now on the other side, now of the pandemic, that is absolutely laughable yeah. because what hubris these companies had, and I was right there along with them. It's like yeah, let's let's paint that twenty year horizon and let's build the roadmap to get there. Um, but what's interesting is a lot of these larger organizations who have since scaled back, gotten realistic and said, we're going to build a five-year plan. And then we know by year three, we're going to have to massively evolve it. Um, but they were starting to get a glimpse into the potential value of tapping into the gig economy, where mm-hmm. not the entire workforce needed to be full-time employees on our benefits with some sort of massive compensation scheme. And now we're seeing that more and more. They're not necessarily calling them gig workers, but I'm loving the shift. I'm loving the evolution that even these larger established organizations are starting to look at more creative ways to borrow and build and buy talent to mm-hmm. help contribute toward their longer term strategy. Ah, there you go. Uh, how do you think AI, you referenced AI in there, how do you think AI is going to change the marketplace too? I mean, it, when you really think about what we've talked about throughout the show, um, it, it's actually the thing that might save our butts in the end when it comes to people, not enough people being in the job market. We, you know, we've got to somehow make that productivity curve happen with less people. Yeah. So there, there's kind of two camps in my, in my view, um, around AI, those who are absolutely scared by it, and they they are typically your, your HR departments in larger organizations, AI completely scares them. Um, and then there are those who are really intellectually curious about the potential of AI. Mm-hmm. And sitting here today having this conversation, I think we are only getting a little bit of a glimpse and a glimmer into what AI could become. But I'm starting to see companies taking you know, the, the chat GPT or the Google Bard engine and starting to build that into much more um, robust, uh, I don't want to say intelligent because that's AI, but but really robust systems for taking that, that engine and really making that into something. I think, I think it is going to evolve, um, first of all, as a technology beyond what we can imagine right now. And then I think the utility of that uh, in terms of um, enabling individuals and organizations to amplify their impact is going to be, um, I think it's going to be crazy. I think it's going to be explosive and I think it's going to be for the better because I I think a lot of these larger organizations, you know, everyone that I, that I work with, 
um, they are wrestling with in some way, consolidating and centralizing, you know, whether they call it a shared services model or, you know, more of a transactional, like all of the, all the back office, um, you know, time intensive, but value, like non-value added activities from their main employees. And they're trying to centralize that and they've struggled with it for all the for all the reasons, right? It's very complex. We've been really lax about documenting our best practices, so it's not a simple thing of just slicing it off and centralizing it. Um, there's all the change resistance of letting go of that transactional work mm-hmm. that you know people find you know equate that to job security. We have a scarcity of talent right now, folks. So don't worry about losing your job if you're doing it well, right? <laughs> if you're really committed to that. But I think yeah. AI, the application of AI into that is going to be really interesting for for large organizations sort of dipping their toe into that water. And on top of that, I I think you nailed it. On top of that, employees or entrepreneurs out there need to really adopt to AI too because the people who are going to be the most valuable in the skills space um, uh, in any job are going to need you to be able to master AI or at least try to master it. It's moving very fast. <laughs> Even I'm yeah. sitting and going, can you just slow down a little bit, man? It's but, it's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. It's exciting though. I mean, you have to, you have to, it is. you have to be curious about it. You have to be intrigued. Yeah. And, and the people who master it are going to be the people who do well and they're going to, cause it, it's such a game changer in enhancing everything. Like, you know, we'll use it for the show. We'll, we'll, we'll put in questions and say, Hey, what, what questions are, would you ask this person? I don't even have to tell them who they are. They just go find who they are and they just come up with questions, uh, show notes. I mean, we, we have a, several different services we've been trying lately to do show notes and they put out these these incredible show notes with quotes and stuff and i'm just like geez we never did any of that uh we're you know and and it doesn't like i don't know a minute or something 30 seconds it's freaking crazy it gives us a whole beautiful show notes sort of thing uh you know uh but being able to master it's going to be the the thing i i i'm a big believer in we need to open up immigration more um, you know, we, we we don't seem to understand as Americans how immigration is what made us such a great country, being a melting pot and, and being the central hub of all the ideas that came to us. Nuclear is uh, nuclear bombs, nuclear fission, nuclear, you know, all that stuff. Those people were developing that in Germany. And if we hadn't welcomed them and got them over here, we might be living in a whole different world. Uh, and, uh, you know, between China uh, and their population being a large market, it really hasn't, it's starting to kind of fail. And part of it's their one child policy that's, mm. that's nipped them in the butt. Yep. Uh, but India, you know, has now is rising is probably the most biggest future uh, economy as ever. And their nuclear power too, as well. Um, they don't really need a military. They, they have a lot of freaking people and a very diverse uh, potential economy. And so we we've got to we've got to get more people in this country with great ideas. There's there's no one person who's got all the great ideas. In fact, if you look at a lot of the CEOs of companies now, they're all immigrants um, who've come from other countries. CEO of of Google grew up on a dirt floor in India. Um, you know, Steve Jobs was an immigrant with his family. Um, there's there's no there's no one person who has all the great ideas. And uh, some of them are life-changing. What we were talking about before with AI, you know, they just announced, they just pulled a, I don't know, when did the iPhone come out? 2005, 2007 officially? Around there, yeah. And then 
I don't know when the exact opening of the App Store was, but the App Store was a game changer. And it created so many industries and so many jobs. And I mean, it created my job. You know, we were able to podcast through, you know, the craziness of microphones and, and everything else. You know, radio became democratized where anybody could do it. And, um, and it was a game changer. It changed everything, the App Store. And now, I think just last week, uh, they just dropped basically an App Store for ChatGPT and, and some of these other things for AI where you can literally custom design it. And so everyone's going to be turning this into SaaS businesses and, and other things as well. So it's, it's a crazy time to be alive, but uh, it's definitely something where, like you say, people are going to have the potential to compete with companies that want people to work for them as opposed to people like, hey, I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. I'm going to make my own thing. So either you come up with something better when it comes to culture, fun, and purpose in my life, or I'm going. I'm going to go do something else. Well, and and figure out a way to do that where you don't have to have borders in terms of your workforce. I think yeah. you know, other than the manufacturing industry, where you very much have to be connected to the machinery as part of your job, mm. we're in an extraordinary time because we can tap into talent in all the corners of the world that you just mentioned. Hmm. including Africa, by the way. So I have a, a, a friend of mine through my, my extended network who is living in Africa and is teaching people in Africa customer service skills so that that can become the next outsourced area for customer service. Does that not blow your mind? I mean, it's, oh. it, and it's crazy because we don't, we don't have to physically have um, people in the same building in the same location anymore. So even the immigration conversation that people lose their minds over Mm -hmm. We can tap into talent and intellectual, you know, the, the, the knowledge economy without requiring people to, to actually move here. Yeah, I think remote workers can give us a lot more freedom as companies try to adapt to that. Um, you know, Africa was a, was a great country rising um, and then AIDS hit it. And AIDS wiped out, I believe, one out of four. Um, and they wiped out their young generation, their old generation. It was devastating to the future of that con that continent and um now like you say i think it's rising i mean they they're a resource rich uh country sadly they're being um you just ripped apart or or, or uh, taken advantage of by china and um russia but of course we're the ones feeding that because we're demanding those resources through chips but we've ignored as a country africa for a long time i think uh, President Biden is going there for some economic recognition here sooner. Maybe he was supposed to go there before the Israeli mm. uh, Hamas uh, blow up. Um, but uh, uh, it's definitely a country we need to spend more time focusing on, and and the potential there is huge uh, because I mean they have they're a research rich company country. If they could if they could somehow obtain some sort of balance without all the wars and civil wars and, you know, all that stuff they've had going on that have really heard the, held them back. And I think, you know, AIDS, I, I suppose there's some sort of control there. Um, there you go. Uh, let's, uh, as we round out, let's uh, get a tease out on the new book you're working for, uh, you're working on that uh, people can hear about. What, what's going on with the book that you're working on? And is it going to be available on your website or Amazon? What's, what's the status on that? Yeah, so I am uh, currently drafting a new book uh, that's going to be a real deep dive into my methodology that I follow with when I'm working with my corporate clients. Um, it is called Growth on Purpose. 
uh, how to expand your business without losing your best talent. And it really is an exploration uh, in great detail around the four pillars of that model, which are aspiration, awareness, acceleration, and alignment. We don't have time to go into all of that, but uh, it will be available on Amazon and my website. Uh, I am aiming for releasing that around January. And I just mm. keep saying that out loud to hold myself accountable to, to try to meet that timeline. There you go. Uh, so that sounds like it's going to be fun to do. Well, we've had a super in-depth discussion. Just brilliant. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Give us your final pitch out to people on the show. How can they onboard with you? How can they reach out to you, see if they're a good fit, work with you, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. That is my social media of choice. But really, the, the fast path to getting uh, a conversation with me or getting connected with me, go to ClaireChandler.net. There's a big bright orange button on the top right of that screen that says work with Claire. Um, it does not require any sort of money to just to talk to me, but you can fill out an application. Let's have a conversation. And if I can help point you in the right direction or find an opportunity for us to partner up, I will uh, enthusiastically do that. There you go. Uh, and uh, I think this came somewhere mid-show, but uh, thanks, Chuck. Uh, I thought the stork brought babies to life. And you are correct, sir. Everybody knows that. Everybody else, it's the stork. It flies in just like the cartoons. Uh, so thank you very much for coming to the show, Claire. We really appreciate it. We've got your dot-coms and everything, right? Yes, we do. There you go. Uh, thanks to my audience for tuning in. We couldn't do it without you for 15 years, three to four shows a day, 15 to 20 shows a week. If you're not watching every show, i got to tell you, I, I'm, and you've heard me say this before, every show I come away with epiphanies and I learn so much. And and you would think that somebody like me, because of my astounding amount of brilliance, my incredible good lookingness, uh, the, my Brad Pitt sort of exterior George Clooney mix, um, that I would know everything, but I don't. And I come out of these uh, interviews that we do and I learn something. So if you're not listening to the show and learning something you can go back and listen to the show that or put your phone down uh be sure to support the show wherever you can go to goodreads.com for says chris foss linkedin.com for says chris foss uh support the big linkedin news audits over there the hundred thirty thousand group on linkedin that we build over what is it 10 years uh go to um uh, YouTube.com for Chess Chris Foss. Uh, Chris Foss one on the tickety talkity, and you can see all the Facebook groups. The main one to go to that you can chat with us now is ChrisFossFacebook.com. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>